The following sermon is from Evangel Temple Youth Ministries. For more information about how you can get involved, please visit etchurch.org forward slash youth. So if you guys don't know, my name is Pastor Isaac. I am the youth pastor here. And so um, new faces, I'd love to meet you guys afterwards, uh, get to know you a little bit, tell you a little bit about myself. Um, and so... I encourage you just to stop me. Sometimes I'm just going crazy on Wednesday nights, but uh, that's no excuse. I really want to be able to just be able to talk to you. And so please, uh, if I don't wave you down, please wave me down, and, um, and that'll be good. So anyway, so we've been in the sermon series, The Apostles' Creed. Um, this has been a series that we've been, I think this is week three now. And so really what we've been doing is just walking through the Apostles' Creed and just seeing what, uh, what it's saying and really what it means to our lives. This is a statement that has been around for um, well over a thousand years. People have been quoting this, uh, reciting this all around the world, Christians just like you and I. And, and so we can join in them in just reciting what we know to be true. And so... Um, this might begin to be redundant after, after you guys um, are here week after week. I usually do a lot of the same introductory material, but I think it's extremely important that we all um, know these things that I'm saying here, this, this introduction part. Uh, I'm not ever preaching the Apostles' Creed, okay? Um, this, this is not a pulpit where the Apostles' Creed or really anything else other than Scripture is going to be preached. And so um, really what the Apostles' Creed is doing for us as we, as we read the Apostles' Creed weekly and we go phrase by phrase, really what it is, it's just a framework or a template. To where we can just go phrase by phrase what each one of these sayings um, mean, uh, the, the fullness of what each part of that says, and we're doing that as it reflects scripture. I used an analogy a couple weeks back, really the moon and the sun, this idea that the moon in itself doesn't have any light, but instead it reflects the light of the sun and just um, amplifies that to us. And so in the same way, the Apostles' Creed has no authority in itself, but instead it reflects the authority of Scripture. It just um, reiterates or just echoes what the Scriptures say. And so um, we're just going to be preaching Scripture, but just walking through Scripture phrase by phrase from the Apostles' Creed. Um, and so that's really, really important. And so we're going to jump right into it this week. And so if you guys want to just read along with me, we did that last week. I felt like it worked pretty well. Did you guys feel like we had a little bit of teamwork going um, last week? So we can do that again this week. So if you guys just want to read along with me, um, pick up my pace. I'll work with your guys' pace, and, and uh, we'll try to limp through it. So starting uh, here at the very top, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. That's not it. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 
Thank you guys for that. And so, um, like, I, like I've been saying, there's a couple weeks in there that you guys might be like, oh, you know, I'm not sure about that. I promise you, um, there's no heresy that's, that, that was just said there, okay? So, um, we will talk about a few of those um, that are just kind of interesting. Descended into hell, uh, the Holy Catholic Church, what does that mean? And so, whenever we get to that week, it will be, um, it'll be more clear. And so... And so, but this week in particular, we're going to be going over the phrase, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, that is God's only son, our Lord. Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And so really I want to be looking at uh, the idea of who Christ is, the identity of Jesus Christ um, as the son of God, but then also what does it mean that he's also our Lord? So what is Jesus' relation to God, um, to God the Father? And then also what is his relationship to us? And so we're going to be looking at that tonight. I'm honestly extremely excited about this, looking forward to this uh, night in particular. I mean, obviously, I guess I could say that about every single night. But um, I really do love uh, the text that we're going to be looking at tonight. Um, I'm pretty impartial to to the book of Mark. We're going to be in uh, the book of Mark. And so if you guys... Impartial. I don't know if you can be impartial to a particular part of Scripture. That might be bad. Um, I love the book of Mark. And so, anyway, if you guys have your Bibles, you guys can go ahead and pull those out. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We have a couple Bibles here as well. And so I can dish those out really quick if anyone needs them. Anyone need them? Okay. Um, And, of course, if you don't have one, you can keep it. I've got a couple over here. If you don't have one, you can keep this. This is our gift. And um, just be bringing it from... From here on out, and then you guys can have a copy of God's Word in that way. So, in the very end of chapter 4, as you can see here, here on the screen, Mark 4.35, we're going to be reading a story. And uh, I honestly love how Mark is an amazing storyteller. He does things intentionally. He puts stories next to each other for a reason. He's not just sporadic like some people might think. Like, man, he's just really jumping around from story to story. He has a method to his madness. Um, and so, it's really exciting to be able to read Mark's gospel. And not just to read it in segments and then... Read the next part the next day and you already forgot what you read that day. Like if you read it in the duration of one sitting, you really get so much more. And so um, we're actually going to read two stories side by side the way that Mark intended them to be read. And so in the very end of chapter 4, starting in verse 35, and we're going to go through um, uh, about half of chapter 5. Okay, so uh, I will go ahead and read uh, this, and you can just follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. You don't have to repeat. We'd be going forever. So, Mark four thirty-five. On that day, when evening had come, he, being Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them, being the disciples, they took Jesus with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. This is really important. I think we have to be paying attention to details. Mark is very detailed and throws things in there. So uh, be paying attention to really uh, not just getting caught up in the long story, but little things that he says too. So So get in a boat. Um, They took him with them in the boat just as he was. The other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, "Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?" And he arose and he awoke and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, "Peace, be still." And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, "Why are you afraid? Have you no faith?" And they were filled with great fear now. 
And they said to one another, who then is this? If you have a pen and you feel comfortable doing this, underline this part. They, they ask, who is this that the wind and the waves would obey him? Starting in chapter 5, they came to the other side of the sea, to the, uh, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tomb a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. And when he he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? Again, if you have a pen and you're comfortable with writing in your Bible, go ahead and underline that part. He says, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, or I beg you, um, I implore to you, God, um, by God, do not torment me. How, I mean, I just kind of have to stop and just kind of think, like, how ironic is this? A demon or a, a bunch of demons are begging Jesus not to torment them. So I just, I, I think that's pretty amazing. Um, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And again, he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. And again, they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirit came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank of the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country, and the people came to see it just as it had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had the uh, the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had had seen it uh, described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region." Just as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged, with him, begged him that he might come with him. Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. I love that story. That's an amazing story. And so... Um, We're going to be looking tonight about who is Jesus in the Gospels. Who is the Jesus that we serve, that we call our Lord? And um, how is he the Son of God? It's, uh, It's just kind of amazing. This question was asked by people that were Jesus' disciples, people that lived with Jesus. They asked the question, who is he? And the answer ends up, being given in the next story by a demon or or, or a bunch of demons. They end up answering this question, Jesus is the son of the most high God. And so what does this mean that Jesus is the son of God? Um, Well, I think first off, whenever we ask this question, this can be kind of tripped up by uh, some people. How is Jesus God, but he's also the son of God? Like, how does that work out? Um, 
Well, first off, I think it's really important that we acknowledge he is the Son of God. We can say sometimes that we are sons of God or daughters of God, right? But um, Jesus is the, with the article, the Son of God, the one and only Son of God. But also, um, this idea of sonship of God can, uh, really two things can be kind of confusing to some people. First off, uh, you can maybe sometimes think uh, son would entail that you were created by. That because he's the son of God, well, then God created him. Well, um, we can see that this is completely false. All throughout the scriptures, we see that um, Jesus is not created by God, but instead he is eternal. He is both eternal in the past and eternal in the future. Jesus is um, eternal with God. He is, in fact, we'll see next week, um, he was conceived, his, his physical body was conceived by the Holy Spirit um, within the Virgin Mary. And so his physical body, yes, was created, um, but Jesus himself, the being of Jesus Christ, is eternal and was never created. And so that's not what Son of God is really supposed to entail. Also, the Son of God isn't supposed to mean that he is somehow subordinate to or um, lesser than God. We don't want to say that Jesus is like second in command to God the Father. Um, that's not at all what Son of God is supposed to mean. And instead, they're, they're, we know that they're equal, that there is no priority um, or preference of them, really, of the God of the Trinity. Um, they are all the same and of equal. Um, and so really what, the, son, what, what the, the, the term Son of God is really supposed to entail is this, this idea of intimacy between God the Father and God the Son, this idea of, of um, intimate uh, communion, that they are, in fact, um, Jesus, God the Father, and the, and, uh, the Holy Spirit. They are all uh, one being. They are God, uh, but also three distinct persons. And so that's how we um, believe to be true in Scripture, and that Jesus is um, a being or a, a person within the greater being of God. And so Jesus is, when we say uh, the Son of God, we, say, we are saying that Jesus is fully and completely, entirely God. The man of Jesus in the New Testament, as we read about him walking around fully human, 100% human, he is still 100% deity and fully God. And so we're going to be talking about that tonight, the deity of Jesus. And so how do we know that Jesus is God? Well, I think this can be, um, I think this can be pretty well answered and the fact that he can do only what God can do. The things that Jesus does, that we see Jesus do in the New Testament, only God can do those things. This very story that we were just reading, uh, he calmed the storm. He, he had complete authority over the, the ocean and the wind. He had complete authority and control over the nature around us, the, the weather Things that only God can do. We see in the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, God the Father, um, the, the, the God that we see in the Old Testament, he calmed the storm as soon as Jonah goes into the, into the sea, right? Jesus is God. He has complete control over the surrounding weather and conditions um, around us. But also we see in the second story that we just read that he also has complete authority and complete control over the supernatural, the world that we can't see. He gives permission to demons. To demons, he has complete authority over them and, and reign over them. He, he can tell them whatever he wants to do. And three times we see in the scripture that, he, that they were begging him, begging Jesus to, do a certain, to, to treat them in a certain way. And so we see that he has complete authority over demons. I, I've never had an experience with demons. I have no intention of 
interacting with a demon. But I remember whenever I was growing up in high school, I, uh, we had, I have my little sister. I talked to you guys about my little brother, Nathan. But I also have this, uh, my little sister, Adeline. And so Adeline, she, I don't know if she was sleepwalking this one in particular time, but I remember we were looking for her late at night one night, and, I, and we, we were kind of worried. Like, you know, late at night, Adeline's not in bed. We don't know where she's at. And so um, everyone's looking around. And we had an unfinished basement, a basement where, you know, unfinished, where you walk in, and it's just rafters, support beams, right, two-by-fours. There's no sheetrock. There's no walls. There's no nothing. You just walk in there. And, and construction lights, right, we didn't have good lighting in there. And so... I walk down, and I'm looking and just kind of hoping, expecting that I don't see her down there, right? Because that's kind of scary. Um, but given my luck, I did. I walked down there, and um, the manly man that I was, I kind of saw this, like, figure, like, on the other side, away from the stairs, across the basement. And so I'm walking across the basement and just kind of stop, you know, far enough to where if I need to make a run for it because, like, it becomes too freaky, like I'm not too far away from the stairs. Um, I didn't go too far in like they always do in the movies where there's no uh, return. And so I've seen the movies. I know what to do. And so I kind of get close enough, kind of inch closer, and I can see like the figure, like this is my little sister. And she's standing in the very back of this dark basement, um, just standing there. And all I can imagine is like these scary movies with like the hair in front of her face. And um, we're like, Adeline, what are you doing? And then she just like was like, uh, you know, like kind of made her noise. She must have been sleepwalking. And, but I knew it was her voice. And then she started walking towards me. And I was like, she's making her way upstairs. And I bolted and just didn't make sure to see her through going upstairs. I just kind of trusted that she would. Um, I'm going to say that's my closest interaction to a demon, okay? Uh, like not even close. But these demons, like um, even in the movies that we see, these aren't real demons. What we see here in Scripture, this man is experiencing, this is uh, the real deal. This is the real thing. This is a legitimate, um, not just a single demon, but he um, is possessed by a legion of demons that ends up um, going into 2,000 pigs. And so we know um, uh, the legion was at least a couple thousand demons living inside of this man. And Jesus had complete authority. And even 2,000 demons were begging this one person of Jesus Christ. We see that Jesus has complete authority over all things. How amazing is that? That Jesus Christ, our Lord, has authority both of the outside conditions that we live in and also the internal conditions of our being. He both has authority over the winds and the waves, and he also has authority over what is going on, all our internal battles. He is truly the sovereign God that has complete reign and lordship over everything in this world. He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he does only what God can do. We see all through the Old Testament. Last week we saw, uh, we were talking about how God can hold uh, in the, the cup of his hand all the water of this world and he can measure the, the universe with the span of his hand. And this is the exact same God that we see casting out demons and ceasing the storm in the New Testament. God is uh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. They, they um, are one and the same. And so why does this really matter? Well, I think it's really, uh, I know it's significant because Jesus Christ doing what only God can do is essential for our salvation. We are not saved. No one can be saved and brought in right communion with God without the act of Jesus that only God can do. We see all through the New Testament that, that Jesus can cast out demons. Jesus can, can raise other people from the dead. Jesus can take 
a couple loaves of bread and some fish and turn it into a meal that is in abundance for thousands of people. Jesus does only what God can do, but the greatest example of what Jesus can do that only God can do is the cross that we see him uh, at the, the last part of his life. He goes and he lives a perfect life, a life that none of us can live because we are, we are just humans. We, we can't live a perfect life, but Jesus did in fact live a perfect life. And then not only did he do that, but he went on and he was so filled with love of other people. He so deeply loved us that he was willing to undeservingly die for us. He did only what God can do. And then to top it off, he brings himself back to life. This is a whole nother step from bringing somebody else back to life. He raises himself back to life. Jesus, in fact, does only what God can do. He is the son of God. And we are saved because he is fully God. We would not be saved otherwise. And so what does this mean for us? This is something that I really want to make sure that um, we walk out of here with. It's something that I was uh, really working on, spent a lot of my time on, was this part of this, Sarah and I were really talking through it because we can know this truth. Jesus is truly God. We can read scripture all throughout just saying, yeah, Jesus is God. But really, what does that mean for us? Whenever we walk out of here, I don't want us to know, yeah, okay, Jesus is God, like theoretically, like, yeah, that's, that's good to know. Like, what's that mean? What, how does that impact how we live? How does that change the way that we act, who we are? What does it mean for us? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because that was the next part of what I was going to talk about. And so, really, we, we, can, we can see in the story that we just read, what did that mean for the disciples? The disciples, um, they see who Jesus really was in their life. And we can read in the story that they were scared of the storm around them. He says, why are you, why are you so afraid? Do you not have faith? And then, after he ceases the storm, then it turns from fear to being terrified. You can see the change in description of them. They were scared of their circumstance, but then they see Jesus cease the storm, just demonstrate his amazing and awesome command over the sea, and that turns them from being scared to now terrified because they truly revered and they saw how amazing and awesome our God is. We can see and we can be in awe of who God is. And I think really one of the greatest ways that we can do that is through reading his word. I think we, we, we sometimes are so expectant that God is going to reveal him in such an amazing way. Yet, if we ask ourselves, how long has it been since you sat down and really just soaked in his word? You just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and just not want to talk about it. Jesus reveals himself, who he is, his person, the way he acted, the way he lived, the things that he said. Jesus is revealed. The description of the God that we live for, it's completely described and just written out in this book. And so why would we not want to spend time soaking in the description of who he is and just reading about the life that he lived? The story is definitely all about, uh, obviously it's about showing who God is, but it's not just for nothing. He, it's not just demonstrating God's amazing character just for no one. 
right? We see at the very beginning of the story that, the, that who took Jesus on the boat? It said that the disciples, they took Jesus with them. Normally you would see all throughout the rest of the, the gospels that, God, that it says that Jesus went with his disciples or Jesus took his disciples or he went along and the disciples came. But this in particular story said the disciples took Jesus and they took him as he was. And then it says that he was sleeping, and so they were terrified, and that they woke him up, and they were saying, do you not care? And then Jesus calms the storm, and it says they were amazed. This is all going back to the response of the disciples. It's not just that God's, uh, Jesus' character of being God is demonstrated for no reason. No, it's showing, Mark is showing us that Jesus' character and, dem- and, and, and godliness is demonstrated for the audience around him, the disciples. And they were in absolute awe of him. Then we can, we can go on from, from there and see the next story. And the man that was completely possessed by demons, breaking chains, cutting himself, screaming throughout the night. Jesus acts in his life, changes his life, and what does he do? He, he, he runs to Jesus and he says, I want to I wanna go with you, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, actually stay here, and instead you'd be more effective preaching the good news, telling other people about the gospel here in your own hometown. And so he went around and he preached, and uh, it says that people marveled. So we can be in awe of who God is, just like the disciples, and we can let it change how we live, the things that we do, just like the man And he went and he preached and he let it change the way that he acted and who he would later be. I think it's so important that we don't get too wrapped up in our lives with everything that we're doing. All the responsibilities that we have, school and everything like that, our friendships that we have, all the hobbies that we have. I think it's so important that we don't get too wrapped up in our lives and not realize the lordship of Jesus. He is, in fact, the God of the universe but he's also our Lord. And it's so important that we don't just completely forget that and don't think about that, but really let that be a truth in our lives. To marvel at what he does, just like the disciples, and to to let it change the way we live like the man that was demon-possessed. These weren't the only people in the story. The disciples, Jesus, the demon-possessed man, but really if if you look closely at the story, there were other people it says that there were people in, the, in other boats. That they, it says that Jesus went out with his disciples in their boat, and there were other boats as well. well I can only imagine that these, also, these boats were also going through the exact same storm, that there wasn't just a little storm, and they're like, oh man, see that little thunderstorm, right? Like, this is covering the whole sea. It's covering all the other boats, the boats that weren't also around Jesus. And I can only imagine that Jesus, whenever he calmed the storm, he didn't just calm the storm around his boat, but he calmed the entire storm. These people had no idea, unless they were told later that, It was by the act of God. It was by Jesus' hand that they were saved. They didn't recognize God's amazing power in their life. And then you go on and you see after the demon-possessed man was was saved from these demons, he goes and tells the the townspeople and they come back and they're, they're mad at Jesus and they don't even consider, they don't even think about the fact that this man's life was changed, that he, that he had been saved from thousands of demons living with it. Wouldn't you think that that would be the amazing miracle that they would actually recognize, that somebody that used to, it says that they had tried to chain him up multiple times and he had broke the chains every time, and they didn't even stop to acknowledge 
the amazing transformation that was just by the hand of Jesus, that this man that they had been trying to subdue for so long is now fully in his right mind, living like a normal human being, and they don't even take notice of that, and they're so mad at Jesus for getting rid of their property, that their, their, their pigs now, the herds of pigs, are now dead. They're completely oblivious of the hand of God. I pray that we don't become so busy with everything that we're doing, all the, you know, the work that we have, like these herdsmen, or, or just everything else that's going on around us, that we completely forget about the lordship and power of God that's going on both around us and our surroundings, but also inside. That we don't acknowledge, uh, that we don't see God's hand is, in fact, at work. I was listening to a sermon, uh, maybe it was last night, night before, I like to listen to different podcasts, different people speaking, and uh, this is uh, one of my favorite speakers that I was listening to yesterday, I think it was, and he was talking about the power of prayer, that there truly is power in speaking with God, talking with God, and he was, saying, he was telling about his wife who, uh, she was calling on God for a friend, a friend had lost her taxes and all that stuff, and, and she needed to submit it or else she'd lose a lot, of, uh, a lot of money from fees and everything. And so she was praying for her friend, and she just knew, um, hey, you know what, try this password, because the password wasn't working for her to log in and to make the changes that she needed to. And she said, why don't you do it? She's like, that's not my password. I don't know why. And she's like, God told me, like, do that password. And so she did it, and it worked. She's like, I've never used that password in my life. I've never created that password. And he said, that is the power of being in communion with God. And I, was th- and I just remember thinking, like, that never happens to me. Like, I j- I've never had that experience. I- I- I'll-, I'll tell you, so if you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, like, oh, man. Like, me too. Me too. I've never had that experience. But then I also had to stop and think, how, many- how long do I sit and dwell in his presence that he would speak to me in that, in that way or that I-, that I don't even notice it? How long do I soak in his word every day that... that- that I really would get such a revelation from God. And trust me, this is not, uh, this is not a, you have to pray harder, pray, try harder, you know, dig deeper, dig deeper. Like that is, that is not the point that I'm trying to make. If you know, uh, if you know me for some, some amount of time, I despise that actually. I, I absolutely hate that. I hate it. Whenever, whenever people say, dig, push harder, push harder, I hate it. I absolutely hate that. I believe that God will speak to us in however way that he wants to. I believe that God will speak to us if he uh, wants us to know a certain thing. He will speak to it. But my question is, are we putting ourselves in a position that we'll hear it when he does? And that much we do need to consider. Are we putting ourselves, are we, are we reading? Are we, are we praying? Are we communing with God? Are we trying to see the person of Jesus Christ, the example that he gives, the, the, the life that he lives? Are we really trying to see that? Are we trying to experience that? Are we trying to soak in his presence to where when he does speak to us, are we, are we going to hear it? Are we deaf to it and completely just don't acknowledge the hand or the voice of God? It's a legitimate thing that we all have to think about. So are we open to seeing and being amazed by the power of God in our lives? The deity of Jesus, who Jesus really is, the, the acts of God that, that Jesus acts out that only God can truly do. Because I really believe that that's not just in the Bible, but it's also today. Are we looking in the first place? Are we really reading his scripture? Are we really praying, seeking out his presence the person of Jesus, and, and does his godliness and lordship over all things uh, lead us to an absolute awe and amazement, and does it lead us to life transformation?
Because really that's, I, I know that might get redundant at times. People are like, yeah, he's always talking about um, letting it change who you are on the inside to the point in which you will act out a certain way. But that is the root of the gospel. That he would transform who you are on the inside to where it would show on the outside. And so as the worship team, if you guys would come up, we're going to go into this time of response. Just spending some time with God. Hearing his voice. Um, as they play, let's just seek out God and really experience the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you guys stand with me? Let's worship. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're not already a part of the ET family, we invite you to join us on Wednesday nights. For more information, visit etchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.